Last Sunday we started talking about knowing God, and in fact we looked at a couple of verses, if you have your place in Psalm 97, if you'll go just a little bit farther over to Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, we talked about last week, and I want to just review that for a moment and then go on with the message this morning. In Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24, it says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, and in those things I delight, saith the Lord. One of the greatest attributes of God is that He is sovereign. And if we are going to know God better, we have to get to know the sovereignty of God. And by knowing, I'm not talking about just having an intellectual knowledge that God is sovereign, but to have a heart knowledge, a heart knowledge that God is sovereign, so that the knowledge of His sovereignty affects the way I live. It affects what I do in my life from day to day. And so this morning we want to look at this Psalm 97. And in this Psalm there are several things that we discover about the sovereignty of God. First of all, notice with me the reality of God's sovereignty. The reality of God's sovereignty. In verse number 1 he says, The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Psalm 97 begins with a great statement of fact. God just simply says, the Lord reigneth. He doesn't try to describe it all, he just states the fact, God reigns. When someone reigns, that means that they are ruling, and God certainly is ruling. That means that they are in control, that means that they are the king. When we say God is sovereign, we are saying that God is the ruler and that God is king. And God's sovereignty is attested to many places in Scripture. I want to look at several verses. You have your place there in Psalm 97. Just look back a page or so to Psalm 93 and verse number 1. Psalm 93 and verse 1 starts out the same way that Psalm 97 1 does God just makes a statement, the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. The Lord reigneth. And then look at chapter 95, Psalm 95 and verse number 3. Psalm 95 verse 3 says, For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. I'm glad we have a great God, amen? And that he's above all gods. Then look over a few more pages, or we'll look at the next chapter. Look at chapter 96 and verse 10. Psalm 96 and verse 10. He says, Say among the heathen that the Lord, what? Reigneth. The Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. And then look at Psalm 99 and verse number 1. 
Starts out the same statement, the Lord reigneth. Let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. The Lord reigneth. And then if you'll go over with me to the last book of the Bible, look at Revelation with me, chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. <clears throat> this is a familiar verse to many of us. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It would be like us saying, I am A and Z. God's A and Z, and he's everything in between, isn't he? Amen. And here he says he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord. Go on farther there in Revelation to chapter number 11 and look at verse 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 15. Revelation 11, verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. God is sovereign. God reigns. He is king. He is the ruler. He is the Lord. When I think of the Lord's reign, I think of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about many places about Jesus Christ and how he reigns. First of all, Jesus reigns as creator. He reigns as creator in Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus Christ reigns as creator. He created us and he made us. God made us in his image, and he made us way back in the Garden of Eden, took the dust of the ground, breathed into the dust the bread of life, and man became a living soul. We are here because God created us. We didn't come from a big bang. We didn't come from an evolutionary process that took place over years and years and years, millions of years. God just took the dust and he made man. heard about a little boy one time. He, he said, Mom, he said... Uh, God made us out of the dust of the earth and said, yes, he did. Said, when we die, what happens to us? And she said, well, we go back to dust. He said, Mom, I looked under my bed. Somebody's either coming or going, he said. <laughs> God's the creator, isn't he? He made us in his own image. And then Jesus Christ also reigns as the one who holds all things together. Not only did he create, but he holds everything together. You know, it's amazing how our earth rotates and a certain speed, and God has all of that in orbit at a certain speed, and all of those things are just timed exactly right so that we don't fly off or so we're not sucked in. He holds all things together. We have a, I have a, a pulpit here. It has some wood on it. God holds this wood together. You know, it's amazing. Some things are made out of different structure. You go to a swimming pool, you dive into the water, and what the water parts, doesn't it? And you go in, and it closes back up. Well, it's God that holds everything together. Why doesn't this wood part like the water does, you know? One of these days, things like that are going to part at the rapture when we're going to be caught up, and we're just going to be taken through whatever structure we're in. That'll take place. The Lord Jesus, in his resurrected body, walked through closed doors. He can control all of that, and he does. 
In fact, he says in Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. God's the one that holds everything together. If he didn't, everything would just fall apart. Consists because of him. And then Jesus also reigns as victor over sin. He reigns as the victor over sin. I want you to look with me at Romans chapter eight or chapter six with me in verse eight. Romans chapter six and verse number eight. And notice what God says there, Romans chapter six and verse eight. And he says in, in, uh, in verse number eight, "Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him." knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Jesus reigns as victor over sin. He died and paid the penalty for our sin, didn't he? And he rose again from the dead as the one who has victory over death and hell and the grave. And he wants to give you and me victory over sin in our life. God in his reign on this earth has given to man freedom. We have a choice. We can choose to rebel against God. We can choose to go our own way and do our own thing. But God in his love sent his sinless son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and to pay that sin debt so that we could have victory over sin, and so that we too could have victory over death and hell and the grave, and we one day will get to go to be with him for all of eternity. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ reigns as the victor over sin. And then Jesus Christ also reigns as the victor over death, and we've seen that already in Romans he tells us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse, eight, verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and, the de and death. He has the keys of hell and death. As victor over death, Jesus Christ wants to give you and me victory over death as well. In fact, in John 3 and verse 16, you know the verse. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What kind of life did he give us? Everlasting life. When we get saved, God gives us everlasting life. The next verse, verse 17, says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he gives us victory over death. We have eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to die physically. The honest truth is, unless the rapture takes place, we're not going to get out of this place alive, are we? We're going to die. But God's given us spiritual life. Life that is everlasting, eternal life. And when I close my eyes in death here, I know that I'll open my eyes in the presence of the Lord because He's given me everlasting life. He's given me eternal life. He reigns as the victor over death. And He wants us to have victory over death. He wants to give us victory in our lives right now, every single day. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, He said, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, 
much more they which received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. He wants us to reign in life. Sometimes we talk about dying and missionaries and different people who were willing to die for the Lord. And, and there are people that we're not aware of around the world today that are giving their lives for the cause of Christ. There are martyrs. There are people in prison because of their faith in Christ. We may not have to face that scenario. We may in our lifetime. I don't know. But more important than being willing to die for Christ, he wants me to be willing to live for Christ. He wants me to have victory over sin in my life and live for him every day of my life. And then also Jesus reigns as heir of all things. He reigns as heir of all things. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Our God rules. His enemies are his footstool, aren't they? They are beneath him. He is the sovereign. He is the king. And that's a reality. That should affect how you and I live. That should affect the way we as Christians think about everything. It affects the way an unbeliever thinks about everything as well. Voltaire, who many of you know of, was born in Paris, France in 1694. As a philosopher, a historian, and a free thinker, he became a very influential man in his time. He became a very prolific writer during what has been called the Age of Enlightenment. He vehemently opposed the Christian faith, and he wrote many rather scoffing words expressing his disdain for the faith and for the Bible. His railings against Christianity are filled with poisonous venom, calling the Christian faith the, I quote, infamous superstition. In 1764, he wrote this. The Bible, he said, that is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, and what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. But we are living in the twilight of Christianity, he said. In 1767, a letter to Frederick the Great, king of Prussia, he wrote these words. Christianity is the most ridiculous, the most absurd, the bloody religion that has ever infected the world. When Voltaire would write a letter to his friends, he would end his letter with these words, crush the Christian religion. In his pamphlet, The Sermon on the Fifty, in 1762, he attacked viciously the Old Testament, biblical miracles, biblical contradictions, the Jewish religion, the Christian God, the virgin birth, and Christ's death on the cross. And finally, he said, to invent all those things, to believe them, is the extreme of brutal stupidity. But you know what? Voltaire died, like all men must die. And the Word of God still lives on, doesn't it? It's outlasted him. In August of 1836, only 58 years after Voltaire's death, Voltaire's former residence in Geneva, Switzerland, was being used as a publishing house for Bibles and Christian tracts. See, the Word of God is not bound, and Jesus Christ does reign. And he reigns as the heir of all things. Secondly, I want you to notice the rudiments of God's sovereignty. The rudiments, the fundamental principles of God's sovereignty. What are some of those rudiments? What are some of those fundamental principles of his sovereignty? 
He talks about in our chapter here in Psalm 97, he talks about clouds and darkness, lightnings and fire and melting hills. All of those types of things show us that God is awesome. God has shown himself to be awesome in many places in Scripture. He's shown to be the all-inspiring on many occasions. Here are some of them. First of all, God showed himself to be all-inspiring to the children of Israel at Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, if you want to go back there with me, look at verses 16 through 19. Exodus chapter 19. As God shows himself all-inspiring to the children of Israel at the Mount Sinai. Now picture yourself there with the Israelites. And they see this as an evidence of the all-inspiring mighty God that they serve. In verse 16, it says, It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. Can you imagine seeing a mountain like that, on fire, smoldering, smoking, burning, and then to hear the voice of Almighty God speak? God showed himself to be the awe-inspiring God to the children of Israel. And then he also showed himself as the awe-inspiring God in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah tells about the king dying. And the king, Isaiah, was related to the king. And in some ways the king almost like hindered Isaiah from seeing the Lord. He was sort of a, a, a blockage for him to see beyond. And in chapter 6 of Isaiah in verse number 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. God showed himself to be an all-inspiring. They, they were in awe as they heard the voice and as they saw the smoke again. A number of occasions in the Old Testament, the, the, the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire ascended on the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and they couldn't enter and they couldn't, because the place was filled with the glory of the Lord. Jesus showed himself awe-inspiring on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. You remember when Jesus and Peter and James and John went there to the Mount, and when they got there, Peter and James and John saw something that just, was, just took their breath away. It says in chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 1, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as, as the light. 
Can you imagine, there on that mount, all of a sudden, Jesus, his face shines as the sun. Now, we don't look at the sun in the noonday because it can blind us, right, if you look right at the sun. Can you imagine, they're standing there, and there's Jesus, and all of a sudden, he's so bright, they can't even look. The brightness, the glory. The Bible says his raiment, his clothes, became white as light. What an amazing picture of Jesus. The Bible talks about God being light. He is the light of the world. And that light shines in the darkness. It shines in the darkness of our hearts so that we can come to know Him as our Lord and Savior. We come to know the truth. But there on that mount of transfiguration, He showed Himself as the all-inspiring God. And then I want you to notice, not only is God's sovereignty all-inspiring, but God's sovereignty is also righteous and just. His sovereignty is righteous and just. Go back to our text in Matthew or in Psalm chapter 97 and look at verse number 2. Verse number 1 told us the Lord reigns. Verse number 2 says, Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Righteousness and judgment. God is sovereign, and as his, his sovereignty is righteous and it is just. Get this picture in your mind. Whatever God does is always just. Whatever God does is always right. I don't have to say this, but you know it's true. You are not always right. Amen? I sometimes kid around with Vicki and I say, you know why I always think I'm right? Because I always am right. Of course, then she reminds me real quickly that I'm not always right. After the slap in the face, no, she doesn't. You and I, we are not always right, are we? We are not always just. But God is. God is right. God is just. It's easy for us to wonder sometimes if God is doing the right thing or if God is doing what is just. But in God's great scheme of things, as the all-knowing God and as the all-powerful God, what He does is always good and always right and always just. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is a, he's an all-inspiring God, and he's righteous and he's just. His thoughts, his ways are far above ours. Not only is God's sovereignty all-inspiring, and His sovereignty is righteous and just. But thirdly, God's sovereignty is above all other gods. His sovereignty is above all other gods. Look at verse number 7 in our text. It says in verse 7, Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship Him, all ye gods. Those that serve graven images, God says they're confounded. Those false gods, those false images, they cannot answer your prayers. They cannot meet your needs. They cannot do the things that you need done in your life. He goes on in verse 9 and says, For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. The reason he's far above all gods is because there is no other true God. All other gods are false gods. All other gods are idols. And as God, He tolerates no substitute. 
No other God is to be worshipped. You know, I'm glad in some ways that we have freedom of religion in America. But there are also some ways that I'm not glad. Because God's plan was not freedom of religion to worship any God you want to. God's plan was freedom to worship only one God, the true and the living God. And he says all other gods are false gods. They're not to be worshipped. He is to be exalted far above all gods. In Isaiah 42, verse 9, I am the Lord, that is, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. You may think this morning, well, I'm safe, Brother Tim. I don't worship any idols. Could I remind you that an idol or a god is not always made with hands, but it is made in our heart. And in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, God said, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. God's a jealous God. He doesn't want us worshiping false gods. He doesn't want us following false religions. He wants us worshiping the true and the living God and Him alone. There is none other. And He wants us to do what Matthew says in 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Keep Him first. Follow Him. Serve Him. Live for Him. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the responses to God's sovereignty. What responses should we have to God's sovereignty? I see three responses to God's sovereignty in, in this psalm. Look at verse number 10. First of all, he tells us we're to respond in love. He says in verse 10, Ye that love the Lord, how do I respond to the sovereignty of God? I'm to love the Lord. I'm to love Him with all my heart. In fact, the Bible says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. We're to love God with all we've got. To love Him. And any time our love is diverted to something else, that thing becomes our God or our idol. And God's not in first place in our life. As God... He wants us to love Him. Have you ever considered loving the Lord just because He's God? Just because He's sovereign? Have you considered loving the Lord because He is all-inspiring? Because He's righteous? Because He's just? Because He is above all other gods? We should love Him if we're saved because we have everlasting life. Amen? He's given us that eternal life. We would not have everlasting life if God in His sovereignty had not provided a way for us to have forgiveness of our sins. God in His sovereignty declared us Christians as righteous and just in His eyes through the death and the shed blood of His Son on the cross at Calvary. There have been many a good king or queen through the years that people have loved because they were a ruler over a nation. We serve the king of the universe. He's not just ruler over a nation. He's ruler over all nations. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And as king of kings, as we serve him, we love him because he is far above all other gods. So we respond with love. Secondly, he tells us to respond with hatred. That's kind of interesting, a contrast, isn't it? Look back at our text in verse number 
10, he says, Ye that love the Lord, what's the next two words? Hate evil. Say those together with me. Hate evil. Could I ask you a question this morning? Do you really hate evil? If we hated evil like we, would, like we should, we wouldn't do so much of it, would we? If we hated it. You ever seen a kid, that little kid that hated peas or broccoli? Or a little baby that hates that uh, squash that their mom's trying to feed them. You ever see them spit it out and push their tongue out and try to get it out of hate? hate. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we hated evil like that? Don't get it around me. Don't, I don't want to be anywhere near it. It makes sense, doesn't it? If I love the Lord, I ought to hate what He hates. And that certainly is evil. He hates evil. But let me give you a word of warning. It's very easy for us to hate the evils of drugs and homosexuality and murder and injustice in the world, abortion and all of that. But I believe that the evil that we should hate more than any other is the evil that we allow in our own lives. The evil that we let creep into our, our lives. Do you have a habit this, that displeases the Lord? God says, I want you to forsake it. I want you to hate it. Do you have an attitude that displeases the Lord? God says we're to hate it, we're to forsake it. As a child of God that loves the Lord, I should hate the evil that is in myself more than I hate any other evil in the world. So he says respond with love. He says respond with hatred. Thirdly, we're to respond with joy and thanksgiving. Respond with joy and thanksgiving. If we know in our hearts that God is sovereign, if we have accepted His sovereignty as meaning that God is not only King of the universe, but He's King of my life, He's Lord of my life, if we know that nothing can happen today, that God does not already know in advance, and that God has not permitted to happen in my life, then I ought to be joyful and thankful that God is King, and that He is sovereign, and that He is in control. A young woman was preparing for missionary service on the foreign field. It was her dream, her desire, her goal of her life. She had been appointed by the mission board and she was ready to sail. And just as she got ready to leave, she received a telegram that said her sister had just died in a tragic way. She canceled her reservation and went home. Her sister had left four little girls and since there was no one to care for them, this young woman who dreamed of the mission field had to stay at home and care for these little ones. She said her heart was broken. She was devastated. She had dreamed of being a missionary from the time she was a little child, and now she would never have a chance to go to the mission field for the Lord. However, she submitted to God's will for her life, and she did the best she could to raise those four children for God. And as they grew older, one by one, each of those four children came to her privately and separately and said, I feel God wants me to be a missionary. So instead of one person going to the mission field, four people went to the mission field. You see, God is sovereign. He knows what He's doing, doesn't He? Sometimes we may think, is it right? Is that just? But we who know the true and the living God, we know that God's way is always the best way, isn't it? 
And we can always trust Him. And so this young lady became a missionary to her own family. Reminds me of a young lady that I knew was a missionary in the Philippines. She had a beautiful voice. She was the only woman that I know of that was ever invited to go through China and do a national tour, music tour in China. She was visiting the United States and she was in a tragic accident in the Atlanta, Georgia area. She was pronounced dead at the scene of the accident. The newspaper in Manila, Philippines, headlines of the newspaper said this, and her dad was Gavina Tika, who was a missionary there. It said, Tika's daughter dies in a tragic accident. And then underneath it, it said, where's Tika's God now? Where's Tika's God now? They rushed that girl from the scene of the accident where she was pronounced dead to the hospital and she was revived. And they first told her she would never be able to walk again and then they said she'd never be able to walk without crutches or without braces and then they said she'd never be able to be married and have children. She did all of those things. She and her husband serve today as missionaries in the Philippines. I've stayed in their home. But she said to us, she said, you know, she said, the one thing that I lost was my voice. From that accident, her face was so crushed, they literally had to use screws and pull her face apart and form it again. And she said, I lost my voice. But she said, you know, one day I was kind of fussing with the Lord and about losing my voice. And she said, it was just as if God spoke to me. And she said, God said, you haven't lost your voice. You've just changed audiences. She said, I couldn't sing to the crowds of people, but I could still, still sing to the Lord. Is God just? Always. Is He right? Always. Does He know what's best? Always. God is a sovereign God. Sometimes we have things that happen in our life and we wonder, where is God? He's still there. He's still sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? You suppose Joseph, any time while he was in prison, wondered where God was? You suppose Joseph, any time while he was working for the, as a slave in Egypt, wondered where is God? He had that point from the time when he had the dreams and he was sold into slavery by his brothers until he was raised up and made second to Pharaoh. In that time in there, I'm sure there were some doubts about where is God. But God had a plan, didn't he? God raised Joseph up out of prison, made him second to Pharaoh, and he was the one that God used to provide food for the nation of Israel so that through the terrible famine they could be fed and taken care of. I don't know what all God's doing in your life. I don't know what all he's doing in my life. We're dealing with Vicky's cancer right now, and I don't know what all God's doing, but I know I can trust God. He knows what the end is. He has a sovereign plan, and I can trust God. And I can say his way is best and right and just. Because no matter how it turns out, he's the king. He's sovereign. He's the ruler. And we bow to him.
Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for being a sovereign God. You always do what's right. You always know what's best. And we can always trust you. There may be some folks here today, Lord, that are going through some dark valleys. They may be in that time that Joseph was in from the time he was sold into slavery till he was raised second to Pharaoh with some doubts and some wonders and some fears. But just as you were with Joseph, as you said in your word over and over again, God was with him. God was with him. You're with us as your children. We bow to your sovereignty and to your will. Just as the Lord Jesus said there before the cross, not my will, but thy will be done. We acknowledge you as the sovereign God. Would you help us today not to allow any idols, anything in our life to take the place, your place in our life. May we understand that you are sovereign as the creator. You're the one that holds all things together. You give us victory over sin and Victory over death. Your sovereignty is all-inspiring and righteous and just. and You're above all gods. May we respond in love. May we love you with all of our hearts. May we respond with hatred towards sin. May we respond with joy and thanksgiving for what you're doing in our life. And if there's one person here today who's still pushing back against the sovereignty of God, who still wants to be the God of their own life and run their own life, may they understand today that you love them and died for them. May they surrender and let you become their Lord and their Savior, their boss and their master. Give their life to you and live for you and serve you. Help us as your people that we may not always understand and we may sometimes have doubts. May we always be able to say, God is sovereign, He is just, He is right, His way is best. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.